um, uh, and it's and so that it's not everything that they're doing. Um, and then as we move on to uh, the third level, which is as we um, we we recognize in terms of some of our te our technologies that it's this Web 2.0 that's having a big uh, impact and change on ePortfolios. Um, the architecture of participation or interaction, as Tim O'Reilly calls it, allows what I call a pedagogy of interaction, which I call uh, ePortfolio 2.0. So why do we want to use Web 2.0 for ePortfolios? I think it's very important to, to address the fact that we have access from anywhere. It's interactive. It's, it it uh, engages students. It, these are also lifelong skills um, that students develop. And of course, most of these tools are free. If you look at some of the advantages and disadvantages of different ePortfolio tools, um, as I said, they're almost they're all all of them. Most of them are free. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for me publishing, for shared writing, and web publishing. There's some disadvantages in that I think they require a higher level of, of technology competency. Most of them are not secure websites, although Google Apps for Education can be. And um, uh, I think if we look at this in terms of what I'm calling small pieces loosely joined, that's the um, terminology for Web 2.0. If you look at the next slide, I'm going to skip over the next slide, which is just really a process of using different Web 2.0 tools for this. And, and just summarize it by saying, if you're really going to do ePortfolios with Web 2.0, all you need is an embed code. Uh, and if you can get an embed code and you're using some of these tools, you can put together a pretty, uh, a pretty nice ePortfolio tool. Now on the next few slides, and I'm, we're just going to go through them real fast because I'm not, these are all up on SlideShare so you can go through and look at some of the advantages of different kinds of tools. On, on the net, uh, so the first one I start with are blogs. Uh, I don't think Blogger works in K-12. Um, WordPress or um, EduBlogs um, is a very nice tool for doing this kind of uh, uh, this kind of blogging for ePortfolios. Um, but I think every ePortfolio system today should include a reflective journal, which uh, many of us know as a blog. If you go to the next slide, you'll see a diagram that I put together, and it's linked on, on my website, which really c compares that conversation with presentation in using um, a blogging system. On the left side, you'll see all the different blog entries, the kinds of things you might want to put into a blog entry. And on the right-hand side, you'll see taking those blog entries, linking them into thematic pages, which become your presentation portfolio at the end of the year. And in some blogging tools, actually, um, especially movable type, you have categories of entries. So you can do some pretty sophisticated classification of your blog entries. Now on the next slide, we, I, I talk briefly about wikis. Um, PBWiki, PBWorks, WikiSpaces, those, I've, uh, those can be used for ePortfolios. Um, I even, go to the next slide, I've even uh, used Google Docs. Uh, I did a workshop in uh, Japan and we were struggling with what tool do we use to do an ePortfolio. This was two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, and Google Docs was available in Japanese. So we used that tool to create, uh, and that was before the presentation tool came out. So I've seen it successfully done with the, just a Google Docs document, just like I used to create portfolios in Microsoft Word, hyperlinked portfolios in Microsoft Word. Uh, my favorite uh, Web 2.0 tool right now is uh, Google Sites. It used to be Google Page Creator, and of course you know Google has dropped Page Creator or is migrating everybody over to uh, Google Sites. 
and that's probably my that's where my portfolio my the one I I mean I update I keep updated is now in Google Sites and there's a lot of reasons why I like it um, um, you can put it into a you can get Google Apps for Education so you can um, you can document you can create a walled garden and let's go to the next site which really is the next page. Which really is a um, a comparison of whether you use uh, a, a Gmail account. You have students uh, create their own Gmail accounts, um, so it's sort of the public Google tools versus getting a Google Apps for Education site. And if you're going to use Google Apps for an ePortfolio, I highly recommend getting uh, a Google Apps for Education um, site. It's very uh, you can create that walled garden. You don't have to worry about students being 13 to get uh, a Google accounts, and um, it's it, it gives you a, a whole variety of of uh, useful tools to incorporate um, into this. And so there's sort of a comparison um, between the two. But I'd like you to, to encourage you if you're doing electronic portfolios to move beyond. Uh, text-only artifacts. I encourage you to develop multimedia artifacts and, and think about alternative strategies for reflection. Um, I'm a real advocate of digital storytelling, incorporating audio and video, as well as doing blogging. And I'm just starting to experiment with Twitter, uh, although I haven't used it in an e-portfolio. Um, so, but I'd ask you a very important question: Do your e-portfolios have voice? And what do I mean by that? Um, do they incorporate individual identity into, into their portfolios? Or do your portfolios look like students have filled in blanks on a web-based form and they all look the same? And I'm afraid a lot of the commercial and open source e-portfolio systems out there are, are like that. They all sort of have this cookie cutter approach. And I think it's very important that the students have the ability uh, to identify for uh, personal identity um, uh, reflected in their portfolios. It's a space for reflection and making meaning. And it's also a 21st century uh, literacy. And I love this quote from Maya Angelou. She says, when words are infused by the human voice, they come alive. And so, um, Another way to think about a portfolio is a quote from Pearl and Leon Paulson who say, a portfolio tells a story. It's a story of knowing, knowing about things, knowing oneself, knowing an audience. Portfolios are students' own stories about what they know, why they believe they know it, and why others should be of the same opinion. Um, they also state that a, a portfolio is opinion backed by fact. Students prove what they know with examples of their work. So one of the things that I've done, you can go to the next slide, is I've got a whole Google site up um, that incorporates some examples uh, for, for scaffolding reflection. Um, and you can go to this website and see a variety of examples. And if you want to contribute some to this Google site, send me your, e send me your, your Gmail address and I'll make you a co-author or a contributor to this Google site. Um, the other thing I and let's skip let's go let's skip the next one because that's really focusing on um, uh, Google tools for reflection. Uh, I am there. I'm starting to write a book for ISTE on what I'm calling interactive portfolios for learning. And this is, I'm looking for K-12 teachers who are familiar with both portfolios and comfortable with technology that want to um, explore this with their students. I've got lots of examples from higher ed, and I have almost no examples from K-12. And um, so I'm looking for examples um, of using primarily Web 2.0 tools, which are blogs, wikis, Google Apps, um, freely, a lot of the freely available tools. So send me an email, uh, ePortfolios at gmail.com. The the the, la the I'm close to the end here. Um, the uh, I also put up a couple of other Google sites, and the Google sites uh, I mentioned the Google sites for reflection. 
Uh, I've also been encouraging people to um, to incorporate uh, if they want to do research. I've got a site up on different surveys available and some assessment for learning sites. Um, there's another site that I don't have. I realize I left off these slides. I've got two different sites up on using Google Apps for education and using uh, for ePortfolios and Google and using WordPress or EduBlogs for ePortfolios. So um, uh, and those those can be accessed from my main website. So the the next slide is for those of you who are in secondary education might be interested in the MOSEP project. That stands for More Self Esteem with My ePortfolio. It's a European study about ePortfolios with students who are in danger of dropping out of school. They call them early leavers. And um, it was a very interesting international study. They, the group used um, Mahara, which is the ePortfolio tool out of New Zealand. But they've got a whole teacher professional development, some great resources on assessment, some great resources on reflection. I highly recommend the website. But my last recommendation to you is that you don't double up on your learning. If you're just getting started with ePortfolios, consider your own cognitive overload. And this is a, a, a recommendation that came out of my dissertation um, sev uh, when I did it in 1991. Um, that when you're learning new tools, use familiar tasks. But when you're learning new tasks like an ePortfolio, use familiar tools. And um, that's been sort of a, a, um, a mission of mine is to demonstrate how to use many of these Web 2.0 tools to do ePortfolios. But my final wish to you is that all of your electronic portfolios become dynamic celebrations and stories of deep learning across the lifespan. Um, I, I am through with my formal presentation, but now I will entertain the uh, questions. Does anybody have a question that they'd like to ask at this time? Um, if so, you can post it in the chat. Or we can um, give you the microphone and be able to ask her um, for live in the session. Just uh, click on your hand if you would like to uh, ask a question. Can Paula ask what's wrong with you? This has been a great presentation. And I apologize. Go ahead. There's a question there from Paula about what's wrong with using Blogger in the elementary level. I wouldn't use Blogger at the elementary level. Blogger as a tool, um, I I wouldn't use. Um, I think you need to find a different tool, and there are lots of tools out there. For one thing, most schools block block Blogspot addresses, so. Um, I uh, I would use EduBlogs even though it doesn't have as as um, easy an interface for elementary school. Um, anyone else using a different blog for elementary schools? I know a lot of schools use uh, Class Blogmeister um, yeah. from David Warlutz. Right. Yeah. I also saw another question about. Um, how might we scaffold students' ability to reflect in the journals effectively? I put a series of, of um, scaffolds up on that website, um, asking a series of questions. Um, uh, you, I've seen it done sort of like uh, to, to start students out with reflection, start them out with either open-ended questions or something like a Mad Lib. And one of the examples that I have up on that reflection website came out of a group of teachers that I was working with in New Hampshire. And um, they talked about the um, examples of um, Using um, sort of fill in the blank form, um, and 
and to begin with so that the students have something to respond to. Um, and, and that becomes, uh, and then slowly wean them off the, the formal reflection. Anyways. And um, I just saw a question go by about um, are, any, are these portfolios or has anybody had experience using these portfolios with teacher education? Oh, they're all over teacher education. The problem with teacher education right now is, and this is just um, uh, from my observation, is that they tend not to use the Web 2.0 tools. They tend to use some of the commercial tools, primarily because they manage the system. Um, and so we don't, they aren't necessarily modeling this process of using the same tools that they'll use in the classroom with students. It's one of the, my major complaints of, about the way um, teacher education is implementing ePortfolios is that they are really focusing on collecting data for accreditation um, uh, and using the tools that will do that. And those tools sometimes, sometimes, not always, but sometimes limit the creativity and the flexibility of students' personalization and presentation. Um, so, um, anyways. Well, this has been absolutely fantastic. And Dr. Barrett, I hope you can stick around for a few more minutes. I'm going to go sure. ahead and wrap uh, things up. And then we'll continue with questions. And Deborah, we'll take your question in just one second, or a few seconds, actually. Um, just wanted to inform everybody, our next show is going to be September 26th. And it will be about Google Search Curriculum and Google Research. And I forgot to change the newbie question. We will have very special guests, Lucy Gray, Cheryl Davis, Kathleen Ferenz, and Dan Russell that uh, next session. And that should be really interesting with some of the, the new tools. And we're also having another session. And this will be a new series starting blogging with students with Sue Waters. Um, the next session will be Wednesday, September 30th of the Beginner Series at 8 p.m. on Wednesday evening or Thursday a, uh, morning at 10 a.m. Australian time. So we hope you will join us then too. And these are the communities and sites that uh, Steve Hargadon has started. And as part of those interview series from those sites, Steve will be interviewing John C. Lee Brown on September 22nd, Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern. And the rescheduled uh, session interview will with Jane Nelson of Positive positive discipline. We'll be talking about Parenting 2.0, Parenting in the Age of the Internet and Social Media, and that will be on Wednesday, September 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So we hope you'll join Steve for those interviews. The survey link will pop up, and it will say future education, possibly. And it may have data that you have input before. We hope that you will take time to input data and put that in the reference that it was for the um, portfolio show today so that we can separate out the data. And we hope that you'll take time to give us some feedback and um, overlook the numerous technical difficulties that we've had today. And we want to give a special thanks to Dr. Helen Barrett and Steve Hargadon, who's the founder of Classroom2.0.com. And thank you to everybody who participated in the show and for your patience and your uh, dedication to sticking with us. And now I'm going to pass it back uh, to Dr. Barrett. And Deborah, I'm going to go ahead and give you the microphone. And you can go ahead and ask your question now, Deborah. I'm not hearing anything, so you might want to try, Deborah, again, um, or post your question in the chat. And you can also go to Tools to Audio Setup Wizard and, and make sure your microphone is working. Are there any other questions? Or anybody else would like to ask a question, just click on the hand.
and then we'll give you the ability to use the microphone, or you can just type in your question. And there's a question: Is the Google at the same time next week? Yes, it will be at 12 p.m. Eastern, same time every Saturday. And um, Dr. Barrett, uh, have there been um, people and research done with using e-portfolios in adult education? Um, I don't know of any research done in adult education. Um, I think they're being used, but I don't have any direct experience with um, um, with adult education. I know there's a lot being done in Canada in uh, adult basic education and credit for prior learning, creating e-portfolios for that purpose. A lot happening in community colleges. Um, the I would say the shining star in the implementation of e-portfolios in community colleges is LaGuardia Community College in New York. Um, they've got quite um, a sophisticated implementation. They've got some really good research that shows um, how powerful it can be for for especially English language learners. Um, they they I've got uh, a lot of articles on my website that highlights uh, especially some of the work at LaGuardia. So um, there's a lot that's been done there. I, 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 I'll tell you though, most of the research that's happening today is happening in higher ed. It's not happening in K-12. And I'm trying to change that. But that's my, um, so that's why I'm doing the book. Excellent, excellent. I think it applies to any age level, any any Absolutely. way, any yeah, any way that you want to present your content. Kathy, did you want to ask a question? You can use your mic now. While we're waiting for Kathy, um, there's a question about: uh, Do you know any evidence for portfolio supporting reflection and identity building for new teachers? There's a lot of research in this area um, it's, uh, that's coming out of teacher education. Uh, there's, um, if you, there's a book that just recently came out called um, Electronic Portfolios 2.0, which is published, I think, by Stylus. And it has the stories or the articles from the first three cohorts of the International Coalition of ePortfolio Research. It's all higher ed. There's some teacher ed in there. If you go to the site conference, SITE, the Society for Information Technology and Teacher Education, that's really the proceedings of that conference really has the sort of the most comprehensive look at uh, ePortfolios in teacher education going back to, I don't know, when I started going there, 2001, 2002, something like that. Okay, thank you, Kathy. And um, uh, I saw a question go by in the chat about what is cloud computing? Cloud computing is, um, the definition really is the, uh, the cloud is the Internet. And um, it's where a lot of your applications and your data is stored up on the Internet, not on your desktop computer. And so cloud computing is really like if you're using Google Apps, you're using cloud computing because the, the data is not stored uh, on your computer. It's stored in the cloud. If you're using a wiki, if you're using um, uh, 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 any of the uh, web 2. many of the web 2.0 tools, such as YouTube or such as um, uh, SlideShare or any of those tools, those are up in the cloud. The that's internet. A, that's a fantastic explanation, breaking it down into um, simpler terms. Yeah. Um, somebody asked about charter school use uh, with e-portfolios. Um, I'm not familiar with specific charter schools 
there is a great example, and I've got it listed on my website, of a school in Virginia that is using Google Apps and uh, specifically Google Sites for ePortfolios. And I've got it as an example. It was also on the Google um, website. And there's a really great example of a student's portfolio up there and a high school graduation portfolio. Uh, done in a charter school. Um, and I may be working with a charter school here in Seattle this year to help implement ePortfolios. But I don't have any direct, I don't have any research on it. I'll definitely have to check that out. And there are such great resources on your site. It's just phenomenal, the uh, content that's there for everybody to use. and. People were asking earlier if they can embed the slide share to share with others and their colleagues. And um, that's the beauty of the cloud computing um, theory that, like you said, we can share and collaborate online. And um, everybody gets to use your resources that you uh, posted. And we thank you for that. Those are great resources. Well, I just got an email from SlideShare, thanks to all of you, that my uh, document is being tweeted more than any other document in SlideShare right now. So it's up awesome. on their home page. Ah, yes. That's awesome. That, that's excellent. Well, um, we had a great uh, number of participants today, and so um, I'm sure that it will continue to be uh, shared and viewed, you know, many, many, many times. Because there's just so much, such rich content there, and so helpful. Are there any other questions that anybody would like to ask of Dr. Barrett? We can uh, give you the microphone, or you can type your questions in the chat. And one question I saw earlier is: Are there any templates for e-portfolios on Google Sites? Um, templates. No, and yes. yeah, there are no templates, and because Google Sites doesn't allow templates. Now, Google Docs would allow templates, but um, and I'm not a fan of templates, and I'll tell you why. Because when you use a template, then they all start looking the same. Um, mm -hmm. That that doesn't mean that you can't provide a structure. You can't tell the students create, show them an example, and tell them. Create these five pages, you know, an introduction and all about me. That's why I tried to. Um, uh, that's why what I tried to do was um, was put together. And now I can control the slides. Um, that's why I put together this, um, which is uh, which I tried to um, show. What you could put into a blog entry, and what you could put into um, uh, a sort of a thematically organized page. Um, so, so that would give you an idea. Oh, I, I see a simpler way of doing this. Um, uh, there, that page right there. Um, so you could organize. Uh, you could you could provide a framework for students' reflection. Um, by by giving them some questions to respond to, and then um, which artifacts you want them to link to that blog entry, and then um, you could say, well, these are the pages you want uh, the in in your portfolio. Those are the blue pages on the right hand side. You'd have a cover page with an introduction. You'd have a a uh, an all about me page. I think that's very important to include in a portfolio. I also think it's important to include a goals page. What are my goals? What are my learning goals? And then you'd set up have the students set up a series of categories or pages. That um, that you can do around different themes, whether it's standards, whether it's subjects, whether it's learning goals, whether it's one of the 21st century skills or a set of 21st century skills. How you organize that will be um, uh, will be the structure that you would provide, the, and that's the sort of the categories uh, there, and then. Um, and that then provides you with an opportunity under each category 
to um, reflect on the achievement of whatever that is, whether it's a goal or a standard or an outcome and so on. And then link to the specific examples to provide the justification or the evidence to support that. So, and you can do this with a variety of tools. This is just an example of using a blog with uh, pages. Um, I, I do the same thing in, uh, I show you on the Google Docs side how to use the, um, um, uh, the page on, uh, uh, they've got a page type called announcements. And it's really organized in reverse chronological order. So duh, that's a blog, right? So you can set up a page type called announcements. And then students reflect. And you can link to any one of those individual um, announcements and individual entries. Um, so that's one way um, you can do that. So uh, that was a long answer to a short question. But you got my philosophy about templates. Um, I'd encourage you to help have the students construct it from scratch because then they learn a lot not, uh, about uh, creating these pages. Um, except where you have students who are uh, perhaps have some learning um, disabilities, then you would want to set up uh, some type of a structure for them. Um, but you might not be using Google Sites with those students anyways. And in those cases or other cases, you could use a graphic organizer or some yeah. kind of diagram and like inspiration or C maps yeah. to. Uh, yeah. Well, I've I've seen people do ePortfolios in Inspiration um, because you can do attachments. You can do. I I don't know how to use Inspiration that well, but I think there's all sorts of possibilities. I'm an advocate of using what you have um, uh, because. Um, uh, the most of the commercial tools and the open source tools are not accessible to students after they graduate. One big breakthrough, and I've got, by the way, I've got some Google groups that people could join, um, and uh, one on using Google Apps in K-12 portfolios, um, and they're they're open groups anyone can join, and. Um, one of the things that came out just recently by a member, uh, one member of that Google group was an announcement by Google on the ability to transfer Google Sites from a, a closed a Google Apps for Education site to um, a student's own uh, Google Apps site, which they might get at after they graduate. And the, this uh, person uh, outlined the process that Google described. And it's fairly easy now, as of two months ago or a month ago, to transfer a whole Google site out, uh, out of an education site into um, a Google site that someone might own just either through a Gmail address or their own Google Apps for education. Another advantage, too, is that students, um, if they're using Google Apps for $10 a year, you sign up with your own domain name and you've branded it to your, your own name. Um, and so anyways, there's some real advantages um, for that approach over others. Um, are you familiar with uh, students creating the ePortfolios in Moodle? Moodle is not an ePortfolio tool. Moodle is an instructional management tool. Let's use the right tool for the process. Moodle just, Moodle just doesn't work for, for ePortfolios. There's a lot of other tools out there. Um, uh, and unless you, I mean, what you're doing is you're, you're forcing, uh, you're forcing uh, a structure. Um, I mean, I guess what they're doing is create, each student creates a course, and then the student populates that course with their work. Well, that's sort of a, um, a kludgy way to do it. Um, there's there's a lot of other ways uh, around it. And um, I would think Prezi would be, I saw this device, Prezi would be an interesting way to uh, create a portfolio instead of just using um, a plain PowerPoint. That's a possibility, yeah. Um, um, I, th there's, the, the problem with PowerPoint and the problem with 
some of these tools is the, the lack of interactivity. You really want tools that allow conversation. To me, that's an important feature. And you want interactivity. You want the ability not only uh, for teachers but peers to give feedback. And I think that's an incredibly important part of this process. And too many people who do PowerPoint PowerPoint portfolios, that's great. They're a presentation, but they don't encourage, they don't facilitate the kind of feedback that you want in, um, in a learning portfolio. That's just my, my attitude. And I've seen PowerPoint portfolios. They're nice presentations, but they really don't, um, they, for one thing, you can't get very much reflection on a PowerPoint slide. And, um, and I, don't, I really don't like that uh, approach. What I, I've done a portfolio in PowerPoint, but I've exported it. I've actually recorded my narration of my portfolio, and it's one of the portfolios on my website, where I narrate what's on there. But there's no interactivity. Uh, Google, the Google Docs um, presentation tool is another example of that. But it, and you can get some interactivity into a Google Docs presentation, but it's not great. There's other tools that are better for it. I'm so waiting. I saw the comment in red about Google Wave. I am so anxious to get a copy of Google Wave. Um, I think uh, from what I've seen about Google Wave, it will be a great tool for um, uh, a rich artifact in a portfolio. I'm not sure about organizing the whole portfolio. Um, I think you need some kind of a page orientation uh, for the presentation portfolio. And um, are you aware, there's a question posted, of any colleges using ePortfolios in their application process? I'm not aware of any. Uh, of There's some that will, but I couldn't name them. There's some that will accept them. A lot of people don't accept them because they don't know how to read them. Um, a comment about, I saw a comment go, go by about the permanence of Google Sites. You need to read um, a recent blog entry of mine, the Google, and the most recent blog entry, Google is working on exporting everything, being able to export everything that, that you have in Google. And so they're working on that right now as we speak. And, and their, um, their website is actually, uh, let me pull it up here. Their website is actually called um, uh, Data Liberation, Liberate Your Data. And it's Google's Data Liberation Front. So um, sounds like I'm advocating Google, but I, I have to be frank, I am. Um, of all the tools that I've tried, there's the most flexibility and privacy and, and um, uh, a lot of ways of, of uh, um, organizing um, and a lot of different, to, uh, uh, very uh, complex, rich tool sets. There's a question about or a comment about Google Wave being made available for education purposes. I too am really excited about that. I hope they uh, release that soon. I, I saw September 30th to about 100,000 people. That's what I saw. I don't know who's on the list or how you get a copy, but uh, how you get access, but um, um, I saw September 30th as the date when it's going to go live, but not to everybody. It's going to be sort of, remember the early version of Gmail? You had to get an invitation. I have a feeling it's probably going to be something like that. Yes. And similar to uh, Google Voice. Yeah. They send you an invite to a select group. Go to, if someone asked about my Google groups, just go to my website. They're right. You can click on them on my website. They're right. I, what I've done on my website is put on the right-hand side all my Web 2.0 sites, links to them all. Okay, and we have your sites also on our GLAM link, so you can refer to the GLAM link um, for Dr. Barrett's site. And Jackie just posted the link at electronicportfolios.org also um, is the direct one. 
our GLAN link has some additional resources uh, to Dr. Barrett's, and it's just um, it's amazing all of the information that you have compiled and put together. You are well, definitely the ePortfolio guru. Uh, grandmother. <laughs> grandmother. That's that's how they introduced me. That's how Serge introduces me in, in, at the European ePortfolio conference, which I've gone to for seven years now. Um, and uh, there's going to be an ePortfolio conference next summer in the U.S. It's going to be in Boston, um, and um, at the end of July, um, I'm going to try to get an ePortfolio, a K-12 track into that conference. Um, it's going to be part of the Campus Technology Conference, though. So um, I'm also going to be working uh, with ISTE to get a. Um, I'm, hope, I'm hoping if I can get time to get some real writing done uh, this fall um, to have the first draft of my book available by next by the next neck. That would be great. And are you uh, going to be presenting at the ISTE conference in Denver? So I'll put in a proposal, like everybody. They're due by the by the first week of October. So I'll put in a proposal. Um, if you go to my blog, I've got a listing on. Um, go back about a couple months. I've got a listing on ePortfolio conferences for this next year. You could always go to London if anybody wants to go to London. <laughs> the ePortfolio conference in Europe will be taking place the fifth through the seventh of July, and then the other um, the the Amer the U.S. conference, which I. I fear will be primarily higher ed, not K-12, um, because it'll be at the Campus Technology Conference. But um, uh, that will be, I think, the 27th to the 29th of July in Boston. And that's absolutely true, Jack. You want to and can um, are two different things. I'm sure lots of us would love to go to London. Are there any other uh, questions from uh, the participants that they'd like to ask Dr. Barrett before we let her go? You can use the microphone or we, you can just paste your question in the chat. And Tammy, if you would like to share how you use ePortfolios with your students, we'd love to have you share. Tammy is phenomenal with Moodle and Web 2.0 resources and using CMAP. She's just excellent in creating interactive content. Yeah. I think the point is that ePortfolios are not a piece of so a single piece of software that you buy. ePortfolio is a process that incorporates a whole variety of tools that are used in the classroom. And there are many ways of constructing an e a presentation portfolio, but I think it's important to keep in mind that the student that that it's not just the digital equivalent of that three-ring binder. You really need to look at the process that is involved in constructing these portfolios, and it's really a process of reflection um, that that I think is so important. And I think that's the key is is viewing it as a process. Um, I think that would help in the creation and every and the way that you structure things is if you view it as a process. And somebody asked, what is the the first step um, about collecting artifacts? Um, What's the most important thing to do first? The most important thing to do first is defining the purpose for your portfolio. And having a clear idea of what you want to achieve before you start talking about any tools or any process, it's having a clear idea of outcomes and what you what you want. The, if students are creating a portfolio, do you have a clear idea, and do they have a clear idea of what you're trying to achieve? Um, uh, and that 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 is. Um, foremost in the process. The second thing then is to set up 
a, uh, a space to store students' work electronically. And whether that is on a school server, on laptop computers, um, you know, there are a, a growing number of websites that will store students' work, uh, although that I think is an area, the digital storage online is still in its infancy. Uh, when Google comes out with their uh, web-based storage, which I've heard is imminent. It's been rumored for two years, and um, it hasn't come. It hasn't been um, hasn't been announced yet. And they're very mum. They're they're not talking about it. So um, they and, and they won't talk about it. So I'm I'm but I'm I'm hearing that it is a project, and it's called Google Web Drive. But Anyways, box.net, there's, there's a whole variety of, of tools out there for just storing students' work. Another way of approaching it, too, is just creating a list, having students keep track of. They've got all these documents all over the Internet. They've got things in Prezi, and they've got things in SlideShare, and they've got documents in um, uh, a video sharing site or whatever. They need a way of organizing it. And what we need is a database to be able to organize that work. And, and uh, you can set up simple databases. I could set up a database in, um, uh, on a Google site page. They've got a list format. Just some way of keeping track of all this work. I used to do it in Excel. And in fact, in my portfolio, you'll see an Excel spreadsheet with my artifacts and how I classify them. Um, so you need to somehow figure out how to keep track of all this work that the students are doing. Um, I could do it in a Google Docs uh, spreadsheet like, or any kind of an online spreadsheet. So there's a variety of ways of keeping track of it. And that's just keeping track of the artifacts, the work. But then you, that's the first stage. But then going to the next stage is really focusing on um, the reflection. And uh, um, and that was that was the second stage, and that's where you can use a blog. And some blogs allow you to attach work, so you can put those those two efforts together into one tool. So you can have, um, for example, an edge of blogs. You can attach students' work there. But the only problem is it's it they don't they can't you can't organize that work in folders and. That's the biggest effort that I think we need to do now is, is really organize, really um, do some work the, on, on file storage and being able to access the work later. And, and of course, it all has to be in the cloud. I agree. Accessibility is, and the interactivity is, is crucial to um, the success of the portfolio. Yeah, and I, and accessible when the student leaves the school. I mean, there's a big the big issue over the last few years on at most of the e-portfolio conferences in Europe has been interoperability. How do we take data that's created in one portfolio and move it to another? Well, um, they they're pretty much dropping that issue, and they're saying, you know, we already have that in blog formats. Right now in blogs, you can transfer data from Blogger into WordPress or WordPress into Blogger or whatever blogging tool you're using. If they, if they adopt the particular blogging standard, I think it's called Atom, um, then that information can transfer. So the new direction in ePortfolio standards today is not the IMS standards, which is the Standards that were developed around course management systems, but it's more the um, the Atom uh, standards, which is the blogging standards for interoperability. Anyways, excellent, Tammy. You want to go ahead and uh, follow up with some comments on how you use portfolios? I was just since it kind of fit in here with what what Helen was saying is that you, you're talking about having a tool that that we could pull all of these sources that are coming from all over the place into one place, blogging being one of them. And now that you can you can move them around if a particular site were to close down, you definitely don't want to lose your material. Um, I was going to toss in some other possibilities that could work. Um, 
CMAPs is one that I've mentioned periodically during the presentation. One of the reason that reason that we chose CMAPs is because it's a software that actually resides on our own computer, and we could actually save it to our computer or save it onto a public server. It's completely free, and you could even download the server software. So if the public servers were to ever close down, you can easily make a copy on your computer and even updates all your links. So if you do move it, it, it's built into the system to update links. You don't have to go through and fix everything. That's one thing that's hard if you end up moving from place to place sometimes is, is fixing all the links. Absolutely. And, and um, a nice thing of that in the way that we've done it is we've actually collaborated as a family. And the kids don't just stop. For instance, one year they, they might study Middle Ages. And then we might return to that topic three or four years later. Well, they don't just start a brand new concept map all over. They actually go back to the family concept map that we created four years before. And we start off with reviewing that concept map. And then we build on it as we're learning. And we do it collaboratively. And CMAPS is nice in that it does have the tools. You can have you can have everybody logged on all at the same time. It automatically turns on a chat system when more than one person is logged on. Yet you've got tools for locking it down so it's password protected. So you can keep just not just everybody can come in. And yet you can make it completely public. People can come in and they can even, if they like your concept map, they actually can wiggle something around if they've got the software side of it, which is, again, it's free. If they wiggle a part of it, make a little change, they'll get a window right away that says, would you like to make your own copy of this? So it's kind of nice in that you can share a, a base to get started from, and then other people can use that base to create their concept maps. So there's a lot of things that I found very nice about using CMAPs. And, and it's just like what she was talking about with the blogs. You can pull in resources from all over because you can incorporate links. You can upload documents. And everything can be set up on the, the CMAP. Plus, another thing I like about it is it also encourages study, study tool use because concept maps really are a study tool. What I do with my kids is as they read and they, uh, they're reading the content of their lessons, they're making their CMAPs as they go. So their portfolio is automatically linked to notes that they could use in the future. Plus, it could be used personally. They can link out to uh, blog uh, blog sites mm -hmm. for the the more reflective side of things. So I just wanted to toss out that it, it's a particularly good tool, not the only tool that you could use, but I wanted to encourage people to explore that one. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, as you can see here, that I use inspiration. Um, and and Inspiration also has a web-based tool. I know it's commercial. It's not it's not open source like CMAPS is. But um, uh, the there different tools have different functions. And I have to be frank with you. Some um, even though I've emphasized the process rather than the tools, I do think the tools have an impact on what you're doing. And I do think tools tools are not neutral, and I think they do influence. That's what that's one of my complaints about how teacher ed is implementing ePortfolios is they tend to use the highly structured tools that basically do a lot of the cognitive work for the students for the teachers rather than having rather than having the learner uh, create that. Uh, um, structure uh, and, and be the information architect of their own ePortfolio. And I think that there's, there's elements there that we, we need to uh, we look at. I talk a lot about opportunity cost in ePortfolios. Opportunity cost is an economic term um, that refers to what you give up when you adopt a certain course of action or a certain whatever. Uh, and what I'm finding with um, with ePortfolio with some ePortfolio systems, especially the commercial ones, there's an opportunity cost that is the students' learning and the students' um, ability to uh, to um, construct their own presentation of their own work. And um, there, and I have a very interesting exercise I do in my workshops where I have people. Um, brainstorm three different uh, about three different approaches to ePortfolios: the um, the totally open, unstructured, faced with a blank page kind of portfolio, the template-driven portfolio that can be that can be modified, 
or the uh, and then the highly structured, completely locked in approach. And we talk about what are the advantages and disadvantages of each approach from both the student's perspective and the teacher's perspective. And, and so it's an interesting exercise to go through to realize what are some of the advantages, what are some of the things that you give up. And the teachers say it's, if, you, if you approach a totally freeform portfolio, you, it's, you, you have all kinds of new discoveries and you'll learn something about the students and the way they think. Um, on the other hand, they're very hard to grade um, with students who are, are, from the student's perspective, they have a lot of freedom and creativity, et cetera, but they also, for a lot of students, they don't know what, where to start. They don't know how to get started and how to structure it. So there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to each approach, and what you have to do is find the middle ground, find the best approach. And, and picking the tools that work best in different parts of the process. So you may find that um, uh, a mapping so software works great for, um, for the, uh, the uh, formation of ideas and formation of structure. And um, anyways, I've gone on too long. <laughs> Um, the My Webspiration, if you don't have access to Inspiration, the, the online version of Inspiration is My Webspiration, and that is free for you to use and save, and then you can export those documents as well. Um, yeah. I haven't used it, so I'm not certain if it has limited uh, features than the software, but um, which I think it probably would. That would be, otherwise, they'd be losing money. But um, that's something else that people can use in addition to the other tools that we've mentioned today. And there's some discussion about do we want to grade those portfolios? Um, my philosophy is, and this will vary from place to place, my philosophy is you grade the assignments, but the portfolio itself is sort of uh, on a pass or not yet basis. In other words, um, how do you grade reflections? I also have a real hard time. I, I remember sitting in a, uh, uh, watching a student panel on reflection and the student saying, I don't know what it means to get a 3.6 out of 5 on my reflection. Um, I think some of those we need to, to look more at qualitative me measures rather than quantitative measures. And, um, and that's why my philosophy about grading portfolios is you need to say what is, what do you, what's the minimum level that you need to do and that if you don't meet that minimum level, you need to go back and keep working on it. But, um, but anything over the minimum level, which I think is maybe in grading standards, maybe a B, um, anything uh, more than that is, um, uh, just for the student's own self-satisfaction. I've had I've had schools do portfolio contests where they've they've uh, in one of the schools in my uh, research project they actually got uh, businesses in the community to donate prizes and they and they had different criteria and they had different rubrics for evaluating the the students' portfolios and so there was an there wasn't a great incentive but there were other incentives at the end of the year to, to, um, to, to be able to reward students for their exceptional work. But on the most part, for the most part, I think portfolios need to be, if they're graded, they become just another assignment. And I think we need to view them differently. I agree, and that made a comment about, you know, kind of it, portfolio loses its effect if we're grading it. And I like what you said totally. about instead of pass, fail, pass, and not yet. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's an excellent point, you know. Incomplete. Yes. I gave yeah, a lot of incomplete not, grades. Does <laughs> <laughs> not play up to standard. I think that's important for students to realize, too, that, you know, their portfolios are a reflection of them, and hopefully uh -huh. it is a true reflection and that's conveyed in the process. 
And a lot of people think a portfolio is just best works. And that's one approach. But I'm, uh, I think to be most effective, it needs to show process and it needs to show improvement. So students who remove earlier work because it's not very good um, really aren't reflecting their uh, own progress and growth. So um, it's not just best works. It's really uh, progress and uh, showcasing learning over time. And that, to me, is the most powerful part of this. Uh, I, the people in Europe found, and remember their, the name of their study had self-esteem in the title. I am a firm believer that portfolios have the potential of, of increasing students' self-esteem by, by helping them realize that they can learn and they have learned and they can grow and here, is, here are examples that they can, they can see. They can see in concrete terms. It's most dramatic in first grade. I mean, you, I remember my granddaughter's first grade teacher saying they would keep uh, writing samples throughout the year, and she would hand them back during the last week of class. And the students would just sit there and giggle when they looked at their writing from the first week of class to uh, first month of class to the last month of class. Well, that's really what a portfolio is all about. Um, it just is much starker. And you can go online and see my granddaughter's kindergarten first and second grade portfolios. We stopped doing it when she got a little older. And we, we may go revisit it now, but she's in high school. And I don't think she has time for this. She, she, whatever she does <laughs> in school. She's that in high sounds school. interesting. I'll definitely have to check out those portfolios. Are there any other questions or comments for Dr. Barrett? We so appreciate you staying extra time, Dr. Barrett, and for all of the participants who stayed. Um, this is such an interesting topic, and I think that um, we'll probably want to continue this in the future. But this has just been a fantastic session, despite the numerous difficulties that we had at the beginning. Oh. Well, why don't we set up? A, why don't you help set up a showcase uh, for student portfolios? Of course, they'd have to have permissions, but and I'd be willing to help uh, organize it. But I've got a lot of people who say, well, "I want to see some examples of portfolios," and most of them are behind passwords, and most of them right. are not accessible. And so, and we need to get appropriate parent permissions and so on. Um, but it would be great to set up a showcase of student portfolios um, from around the world. That definitely would. And we have a Digo group um, for Quantum 2.0 Live. And if people are interested, they can post the links through there, and then we can create work on creating a showcase page. Um, for those that have their permissions to be shown uh, publicly, I think that's a fantastic idea, and I'd definitely be willing to help facilitate that, or um, like Sherry, some of maybe an e-portfolio meeting or something to that effect, where we can share resources as well as examples. Um, I think that's that's key to helping some of the teachers understand the process of creating the e-portfolio, when they see an example, they can take that and put their own spin on it and share with their students. Yeah, well, and main Google group, you know, whatever. Um, right. I've got a Google group set up. Um, just an online um, collaborative space where people can share um, some examples would be great. Definitely. I think that's fantastic. So I'll, I'll look into that, and we can all you know, share ideas and uh, post resources to the Deagle group, to your Google group, um, just a variety of ways that we can share that and start facilitating this, this showcase. I think that's fantastic. And I saw one comment here. One example uh, creates uh, um, portfolios that all look the same. Ten examples give students lots of ideas. So we don't want to just put up one example. We want to put up, I mean, there needs to be lots of examples. I agree, because you don't want the template or the you know, cookie cutter portfolio. 
Right. That that defeats the whole purpose of creating one. Right. That's a perfect idea. Is that learn center group on student e-portfolios. Excellent. I'll I'll start that as soon as we finish the session, and um, everybody can join that group and we can share links of, of resources as well as examples that are um, approved for public viewing. I think that's great. Perfect idea, Peggy. Thank you. Definitely, we can schedule follow-up sessions through Learn Central to continue the discussion and um, show more about the process of creating. And we can share examples in uh, Illuminate as well. So, perfect idea. So, are there any more comments or questions for Dr. Barrett? This has just been so, so informative and so helpful. Great. Well, it looks like we're going to let you go, Dr. Barrett. Again, thank you so much for your time and for everybody's uh, time for staying after. And we hope you'll join us on the 26th, everybody, at the same time, 12 p.m. Eastern, uh, for the Google Research and Google Search Curriculum with Lucy Gray and her guests. And we thank Steve and Illuminate for providing this forum. So have a great day, afternoon, evening, or morning, wherever you are in the world. And again, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much, everyone. Okay.